Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Wednesday, March 30, and tonight history will be made. Shane Warne's send-off at the MCG will be one of the biggest we've seen in recent memory, especially when you consider the TV audience around Australia, but also in India, Pakistan and the UK. It could be Australia's biggest TV event ever. So in our briefing, what is it that made this man so popular? He was genuinely interested in people and he genuinely liked people and he certainly loved life. He kind of subscribed to the buy now, pay later plan. That's Tracy Holmes, veteran sports journo, who in this episode's briefing will explain the unique combination of factors that make this man one of the most popular Australians in history. First, here are today's news headlines with Antoinette Latouf. G'day, Tom. A huge news day with the federal budget being unveiled in Canberra. And if you didn't catch the budget speech, we've got you covered with all the big developments. This is our vision for Australia and this is what tonight's budget delivers. Cost of living relief now. That's the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg. So the much-anticipated fuel excise cut is happening. Fuel excise will be cut in half. For the next six months, Australians will save 22 cents a litre every time they fill up. So this cut is set to end on September 28, which will set up a tough decision for any future government. And another measure is one-off $250 payments for people on Centrelink or on concession cards, and lower and middle income earners will get an extra $420 of tax back when they fill out their tax return. And the Home Guarantee Scheme, where first home buyers only need a 5% deposit, is being expanded to 50,000 places a year. And some good news for apprentices, they'll get $5,000 from the government, while employers will be given $15,000 in wage subsidies. And another pretty significant move, parental leave is changing, with 20 weeks combined to be split as a couple, any way a couple wants, rather than the previous scheme that, that stipulated 18 weeks for the primary carer and two weeks for the secondary carer. Now parents can decide how to split that 20 weeks in a way that suits their families. Yeah, which could change the game for dads, which will be really interesting. It's an interesting budget, comes at a very interesting time coming out of the pandemic and right into an election as we see inflation going up. And we talked about this on Monday's briefing. Mm. The government walking a pretty um, tight line between trying to help people deal with the cost of living pressures, but not adding to inflation and also starting to at least be seen to wind back this massive debt heading towards a trillion dollars, all whilst going into an election. So that's a pretty tricky one. My take is that it is pretty measured in in what they dished out for this cost of living problem, mm. $8.6 billion. That's when they actually had over $100 billion extra coming in than they expected as recently as December. So they could have spent a lot more of that trying to sweeten the deal for people, but they've resisted that urge. So it's a pretty difficult balancing act between, I guess, that sense of feeling that they want to buy the next election win, but also really being mindful of inflation. And Albanese will give his budget reply on Thursday. And I'm keen to see just how much differentiation there is between the two budgets, because the government's doing things like increasing the Afghan refugee intake and spending more on women and childcare. And so this budget has a very very Labor feel. And some of those staunch ideological positions that have previously been held by the coalition seem to have been quickly shelved. Well, same on the other side. Labor don't have any of these big controversial decisions they took to the last election. 
And the opposition leader always struggles to get much oxygen for his reply speech because mm-hmm. it comes on Thursday, so two days after the Tuesday budget speech. No one cares by that point, <laughs> exactly. particularly when there won't be that much difference in his position. The other interesting thing that was going on in Parliament, by the way, last night was, so you've got Josh Frydenberg selling the budget in the House of Reps. Then over in the Senate, um, <laughs> Liberal Senator Conchetta Ferravanti-Wells went absolutely rogue. Morrison is not fit to be Prime Minister. So she's speaking freely now because she's going to have to leave politics because the party dropped her to an unwinnable position on their Senate ticket, she did not hold back on Scott Morrison's character. Lacking the moral compass and having no conscience. His actions conflict with his portrayal as a man of faith. He has used his so-called faith as a marketing advantage. Wow. Brutal. So these are really strong comments. Um, She's obviously so angry. um, She doesn't seem to care about damaging her own party Mm. right before an election. Yeah. And this is another person From Scott Morrison's side of politics, someone who's worked with him, slamming him in public. We had Barnaby Joyce, we had the Gladys Berejiklian and an unnamed cabinet minister exchanging texts to a similar effect, former Liberal MP Julia Banks, and then all the people on the other side of politics Mm. as well. So, yeah, he's just really copying an absolute hammering. I'm not convinced that making petrol cheaper is going to balance out, you know, some of this character assassination in the lead-up to an election. Panic on the northern rivers of New South Wales, where Lismore residents were given a false all-clear. They were told evacuation orders had been lifted, but then were hit by flash flooding again last night. So 355 millimetres of rain fell in some areas over the last 24 hours. So here's the thing. Some locals had begun to return, but then they were told they needed to turn back around. Yeah, it's a frightening situation, all at night as well, Mm. as the rain's coming down. So pretty scary stuff. So currently there's a severe weather warning in place, damaging winds, heavy rainfall from Taree all the way up to Mwilumba. And this deluge has dumped more than 200 millimetres of rain on the mid-north coast since 9am yesterday. And Neil Bennett from the Weather Bureau says the area needs to brace for even more rain. Could even see some localised Uh, falls potentially up to 300 millimetres. Oh, my God. So Russia appears to be changing tack. Uh, Their defence minister, Sergei Shoigu, uh, says Russia's main goal in Ukraine is now the liberation of the Donbass region in the east. So it's a sign Moscow could be downgrading their objectives after facing fierce resistance in the first month of the war. Yeah, so Shoigu has claimed the main tasks of the first stage have been completed... It did appear they were trying to take over the whole country, attacking Kiev, um, even Lviv in the far west of the country. They appear to be walking that back now, which is a good sign. This comes as peace talks have been happening in Istanbul, appearing to make some progress. Russia says it will significantly cut back its military in the north of Ukraine near Kiev and Shaniv. Meanwhile, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky is set to address the Australian Parliament tomorrow evening. So Will Smith seems to have properly and publicly apologised to Chris Rock. So he wrote on Instagram, violence in all its forms is poisonous and destructive and that his behaviour at the Academy Awards was unacceptable, inexcusable. He publicly apologised and directly to Chris 
He said it was out of line, it was wrong, he's embarrassed by his actions, there's no place for violence. And Tom, if you recall, on the evening, he seemed to apologise to everybody but Chris when he Mm. got up and accepted his award. Yeah, this seems like the apology he should have given on the night, Mm. but didn't, and instead was given a standing ovation, (laughs) dragged the Williams family into his own misbehaviour and then kicked on at the after party with no repercussions on the night. It, it was it was pretty wild. I was watching thinking, is someone going to ask him to leave mm. and not give him an award? But now the Academy has said it condemns Smith's action, even though he was invited to the after party, mm. um, and it's investigating the incident. And at the, around the same time as Smith's apology, there was another apology during the rounds on the internet purportedly from Chris Rock, but his management has since come out and said that was false and Chris Rock has not issued an apology. There's all kinds of weird stuff getting around on the internet in relation to this slapping now. Um, I mean, the memes. I mean... Uh, Meme generator of the Hilarious. Year. And so Warney's funeral tonight, which we're about to talk about in depth at the briefing, uh, we're looking at 65,000 people. Um, there are still some tickets available after an extra 10,000 were released yesterday. We've uh, had 50,000 people take up the seat allocation so far and we'd like to invite people to come because this is going to be just one of the great events in the history of this city and this country. That's Eddie Maguire there. Warns children and father are expected to deliver speeches along with a number of cricketing rivals and of course plenty of celebrities will be there including Hugh Jackman, Kylie Minogue and Russell Crowe. And there'll be video appearances and performances from Elton John, Ed Sheeran and Chris Martin, while John Stevens and Anthony Kalia will be there performing live. Yeah, there'll also be some huge cricketing names there, obviously. So a massive night. Um, we're going to get deeper into that right now. Antoinette, will catch you tomorrow. Uh, Katrina joins me for this next conversation. So, Katrina, I've been looking at some of the big funerals in Australian history, and in 1931, 300,000 people hit the streets of Melbourne to send off Sir John Monash, the war hero. Gosh, that's unbelievable, especially when you consider the population back Mm. in 1931. I guess the big difference with Warney's funeral, like, we know there there could be 100,000 people at the MCG and possibly people at the SCG and other outdoor events, but it's really... It's the TV broadcast and the social media that will take this to millions, maybe even hundreds of millions of people around the world. Yeah, especially when you consider those audiences in countries like India. Is he, in fact, one of the most popular Australians of all time? Mm. He certainly wasn't your typical hero and certainly not your typical role model. So Tom and I have just been trying to unpick this. What was it? What was that unique combination of factors that made this man so, so popular? Yeah, you had the freakish sporting talent and then he had the wealth and the celebrity friends but he was still so real, so relatable. And this unusual mix of characteristics has really hit a sweet spot with the Australian public as we'll witness tonight. So to help us unpack the cultural phenomenon that became Shane Warne and why he was such an icon, we're interviewing sport journalist Tracy Holmes and she's the host of the ABC News podcast, The Ticket. Do you think this will be one of the biggest funerals in Australian history? Absolutely. I don't have any doubt about that. And and not just in Australia, but also internationally, because you have to think about 
the notoriety, the fame, the legend of Shane Warne that transcended Australia by far. In later years, he lived elsewhere. You know, he spent a lot of time in Europe. He spent a lot of time in the subcontinent. He played and coached there. He's made friends in other fields, not just in sport, but in entertainment. And some of the biggest luminaries of all time, Sir Elton John, Mick Jagger, there's just such a long list. And so Shane Warne goes beyond a cricket pitch and he certainly goes beyond Australian borders. Well, that's right. When you consider the TV audience, I mean, Sir John Monash had 300,000 people turn out in the streets of Melbourne for his funeral in 1931, but TV wasn't a thing then. So this time we're going to have so many people tuning in from India, Pakistan and the UK and right around Australia. Yes, and then think about all of the people that are inside the MCG and how they will be using their mobile phones, Mm. you know, exactly what, what they'll be doing and what they'll be posting and it will live on beyond the moment, that's for sure. Now, I was at a barbecue a couple of weeks ago and a girlfriend of mine who I didn't even think was into cricket, she was actually in tears when we were talking about Warney's death. He just seemed to have such a massive impact on people. Do you reckon he is, in fact, the most popular Australian in recent history? <laughs> uh, that's a very good question and possibly so. Uh, I'd be interested to know what your girlfriend said to you. Did she say why she was feeling so emotional? Yeah. She said she felt like she knew him and she'd grown up watching him and it just felt deeply personal to her. Yeah, and I think that's one of the amazing characteristics about Shane Warne that very, very few other people have or can tap into. People have described it as an X factor. I think it was different to that. It's not an X factor. It's that he was the everyday person. He was the everyday man that the everyday woman could relate to as well. He was just an Aussie. Do you know what I mean when I say that? I'm not, you know, sort of downplaying the legend of his cricketing skills and what he did elsewhere, but the fact that he remained so firmly rooted to the ground. He was the same from when he was a kid to the height of his career. He never changed. He didn't treat anybody differently, whether you had a title, whether you were just someone in the street that happened to be walking by and said, g'day, Warney. He treated everybody the same. And I think people really respected that and they could sense that in him. He was genuinely interested in people and he genuinely liked people and he certainly loved life. He kind of subscribed to the buy now, pay later plan (laughs) uh, and he was in every single moment. You know, he wasn't pivoting elsewhere. He wasn't thinking about being with other people. He wasn't thinking that he wished he was somewhere else. He was right there in the moment with whomever he was with and I think people sensed that, even people that, that didn't know him personally. I think for Warney, it was a combination of two things that made him really popular. I mean, there were many things, but two main things. One, he was incredibly good at sport. Now, we wouldn't be talking about him if he was just a good bloke that was really honest about who he was, if he wasn't great at sport. But when you pair the two together, being really good at sport and then just being a real larrikin, not thinking he's better than anyone else, shameless, raucous, sometimes bad behaviour that meant he could never look down on anyone even if he wanted to. It was the combination of those two things that really elevates him. It's true. And, you know, Tom, what's interesting is that when you talk about that egalitarian nature, I think Australia is changing. And so one of the remarkable things is Shane Warne almost 
straddled two eras. You know, you think back to some of the the legendary larrikin sportsmen, he straddled that era and into a new era. And I think Australia has changed. I think standards have changed. I think what the world expects has changed. So Shane Ward was across those two eras. And I don't think we'll see somebody like him again emerge in quite the same way, particularly from the sporting arena. Yeah, do you think those same things is what made him very popular in England as well or right across the UK? Firstly, that they love their cricket there, maybe as much as we do, if not more. But also they have a more hierarchical class structure still intact there and Warney clearly cut across that. Do you think that's why those big celebs in the UK love him? Look, I think one of the reasons they loved him is that, you know, clearly he was a, a sporting legend and from the game of cricket that they so adore, delivered the ball of the century over there. But the other thing is when you start talking about class structure, one of the interesting things with uber celebrities, if you like, is that they find it very hard to meet people who treat them as ordinary people, where they don't feel they have to live up to their celebrity status or they have to be a particular thing that people might expect them to be. They can kind of let their guard down a little with somebody like Shane Warne. They can be the real people they are because Warne was such a real person sitting opposite them. And I think that was probably part of the love that they had for him. And I think if you imagine Shane Warne, you know, those images of Shane Warne, the footage of Shane Warne, you see that little glint in the eye. There was always a smile. And these are the things that enabled him to walk into any crowd, whether it be the ultra celebrity crowd or the very ordinary man or woman in the street crowd and touch them the same way. Well, speaking of touching, he certainly had a way with women, Tracy. I've, uh, I've never actually met Shane Warne in real life, but I'd love to know, what is his charisma like? What does he, what does he have that just made him irresistible to women? Well, I think it was that glint in the eye and the smile and the laughter and the ability to sort of um, just cut through whatever, how do I describe this, you know, crap of a situation uh, that people might be in. He smiled. He was like the sunshine. And I think his daughter, one of his daughters put something up on Instagram recently and it basically said, you don't need to learn how to live with someone you've lost. You need to learn how to live with the sunshine that they brought and you need to remember uh, that love. And that was the infection that he had. He kind of just oozed sunshine. It was light. It was fun. It was, let's enjoy this moment. He didn't have time for, let's get bogged down in worries. Now, that doesn't mean that he was a perfect husband to Simone. Uh, She Mm. knows that. But I think they understood each other better uh, in later life after they'd been divorced. He also knew that at times he was not a good father, but he made extra efforts at that later on. And it's one of those situations where even when I heard the news that that he died, you know, normally the instantaneous reaction is that you're incredibly sad and it was such a unique feeling. I mean, of course I was sad that Shane Warne had gone, but I can't help smiling when I think of Shane Warne and everyone that he touched while he was alive, um, metaphorically speaking. <laughs> uh, he, he warmed people. What impact do you think dying young has on someone's legacy? Does it enhance it? Oh, definitely, because 
as I sort of uh, move through the decades, you realise they, they don't become better. You're remembered for the last images that people had of you. And you think about some of those uh, great legends through time, you know, the, the people that die young, you will always have a young image of them. They will never age in the same way that the rest of us age. Do you think too, Tracy, that the reason there is such a, a collective grief around this is because it also marks the end of an, an ideological era of a simpler time? I mean, with cancel culture now, perhaps some of the things that Warney did back in the day wouldn't really pass the litmus test right now. Do you think it, it's sort of that sense that, that life is just much more complicated now? Absolutely. And I think, you know, people will wrestle with this as they did with Shane at the height of some of his indiscretions because you can't help but love the bloke. And then you go, but what are you doing, Warnie? You know, like (laughs) you're better than that. Uh, So people will always wrestle with that element. But that is the thing that people uh, feel in touch with because they also know that in their own lives, nothing is perfect. You know, there are moments that come along that challenge us. How do we deal with those? And Shane's way of dealing with it was he would live the moment and regret it later or not so much regret it, but just think, what was I thinking then? And a lot of people can relate to that. But I think one of the greatest lines I read in all of the the many tributes that have been paid to him around the world was in an article by um, Malcolm Knox. And he said, here is what he's wrestling with. Here is a man that was deemed by cricket officials uh, not suitable to ever captain Australia, even though he was clearly the best cricketer in the world, the best bowler in the world at that time. And yet, uh, captains come and go, don't they? Their legend might be fleeting. Some of them live on longer, but they come and go. And yet now we are having at the great icon of Australian sport, the MCG, naming a stand for all time in Shane Warne's name. So there is that tussle and that conflict. He couldn't captain the side because of his off-field behaviour, but now we have this stand that everybody that comes to Australia, everybody that competes at the MCG, everybody that goes there of a fan of any sport will be seeing the Shane Warne stand in Australia's most iconic sports venue. I mean, what greater tribute can you pay to an athlete? That was Tracy Holmes, sports journal who hosts The Ticket, an ABC News sports podcast. So I guess if you're looking at the ingredients of why Warney is the icon that he is, I mm. think I think dying young, I mean, like Heath Ledger, like uh, Grace Kelly, people who've died young and remain forever young in your mind, I think that's a big part of it. Yep, being really good at what he did. And as Tracy said, the smile and twinkle in his eye <laughs> that he was authentically himself and stayed true to his character despite the success... Yeah, and in Australia, you know, we hate a tall poppy. So Warney, even though he was incredibly successful because of his sometimes bad behaviour, he never gave people the impression that he thought that he was better than them. Yep, and in Australia, that means a lot. So on the sports field, his bowling was the X factor, but I think culturally, that might be it. Tomorrow on The Briefing, what's in the budget for you? Listener.